0: Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. It's episode two of the Family Affair podcast focusing on continental wrestling, and I'm happy to say we've got our first in-ring performer on as a guest. That is Lord Humongous himself, Jeff Van Camp. We're going to talk about uh, how he broke into the business in Memphis, his stint working for Dick the Bruiser in Indianapolis, his time in Continental both as a heel and a babyface, and then his memorable run in Mid-South, including that famous angle with Dick Murdoch and his feud with Jake Roberts. I have to admit I'm a bad podcast host because I forgot to ask him about the one thing I was most curious about, and that is the music video that Joel Watts filmed in Mid-South. You can read more about that in the show notes on the website, as Jeff was kind enough to give me some details about it after we finished recording. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to a new episode of the It's a Family Affair podcast series on the Winter Palace. If you are reading our Continental recaps on the website, you know that one of the biggest stars in the promotion, quite literally, is the newly turned baby-faced Lord Humongous. I'm very happy to say that the man who was this version of Humongous joins us to talk about his time in Pensacola and Birmingham, as well as his career before Southeastern and then his notable stint working in Mid South. So please give a big welcome to the former Ayatollah of Rock and roll, Jeff Van Camp. How's it going, Jeff?
1: Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's, a, it's an honor. I uh,
0: yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I'm. Uh, like I've. I think we when we talked about over the time that uh, this is. Um, an interesting project for me because although I've seen lots of wrestling over the years, um, continental was not something that I got to see live at the time because I'm on the East coast. And this is of course, back when things were much more regionalized. So I didn't get to see a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about until much later. And like I said, now we're doing this continental project where we review the TV show and we pick up while, uh, while you're still there. So um, let me, um, I will just say this now for people who want to hear uh, more about your career, maybe stuff that we don't end up talking about. um, You were on Ron Fuller's uh, stud cast last year sometime. And if people, if people want to hear uh, more about your career, maybe stuff that we don't get to, I would definitely encourage people to go and track that down Uh, for people that don't know. Ron's been on, Uh, the regular podcast before last year when he was talking about his book and right after uh, Bob Armstrong passed away. So um, if people have missed that, they can go back and listen to that. So um, you actually started your career kind of by accident because you had, you had been playing football at Louisville and sort of had a chance meeting with some of the wrestlers while you were there.
1: Yes, that is, uh, that is correct we uh as, as a football player they hired uh, uh i guess the football players uh back then you could do that i, I would assume at, at each of the concerts and every tuesday night at louisville gardens they was wrestling and i uh, got to meet several of the wrestlers the the, the professional athletes and the boys um, at that period of time in my life About 81 82 83 um and then you know jerry lawler was talking to me in a my my partner at the time, uh, working together, his name was Pete Bowen. He he was an offensive tackle for the University of Louisville. And Jerry had offered us to go to Mid South Coliseum on a Saturday morning um, to to learn how to wrestle. But of course, at the last minute, my buddy chickened out, and my brother and I drove to Memphis uh, Friday night, spent the night, and then met Jerry in the Mid South Coliseum on that Saturday morning and. Uh, he showed me how to wrestle about two or three hours in the ring and uh, pretty much said, here's your booking dates, and now you're a professional wrestler if you choose to do so. And I said, wow, that's amazing. So that's how I got my start.
0: It's certainly better than some of the grueling stories that you hear from back in uh, that era of, you know, like we were talking about Ron and, you know, Ron's father and uh, – his uncle's trained guys on their farm and you hear all sorts of horror stories about guys being broken in or, you know, people that tried to get into the business and were, and were hurt by guys to, you know, to see if they would have the metal to come back. But, uh, you had it fairly, fairly good. It sounds like,
1: you know, I was, I was at the right place at the right time, apparently. And, and, uh, Jerry knew that I was playing ball at Louisville. So, I wasn't some, um, skinny kid you know i was pretty big and and uh he assumed that i i, uh, I could take a bump and because was playing football and and uh, he wanted to show me what he could show me in the ring and 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 it was amazing i mean the, those two three hours was brutal it was, he, he showed me a lot of things that i wasn't prepared for how to hit the ropes and how how to fall and because if you don't if you don't if a lot of people think that hitting the ropes is easy um, I was trying to train one of my friends at one time about hitting the ropes and where you place your arm and, and how to hook, and and he uh, he when he hit the ropes he broke his ribs. So it's very it's running run, running the ropes and, and and learning how to actually the the system within the ring is is is, is very difficult.
0: Yeah, it's like They're not easy. Yeah, it's like I've I've uh, occasionally done some some uh, stuff for some. Uh, indie companies around here but never been in the ring but when i was when i was an undergrad in bloomington we took judo and it's funny that you know a couple years of judo is basically sort of would have been like a good primer because it seemed like you learn how to fall and you learn how to bump and it's amazing that while we were learning that when you started to watch wrestling you could you could easily see the the similarities Similarity. between the, between the two. And so, you know, that's the closest I've ever been in the ring, but I certainly know like the first six months that we took judo, we were all, we were, you know, beat to death by our sensei.
1: You know, it's amazing you said that because I uh, actually it was one of the courses at Louisville that I did take. It was a judo class. My, my, my roommate and I, he's an offensive guard. And we actually took judo lessons at, at Louisville. And, uh, because we thought it would help us out with uh, with, with uh, you know playing ball, how to take a fall, how to get up fast, and and maneuver, and and believe it or not, it really helps you out learning judo, in in wrestling. It helped yeah, me
0: out. Yeah, I mean, because it, it was funny because after the first couple months or so, we were like we were watching, you know, we were just watching stuff on TV and we're like, hey, I never noticed that like guys doing hip tosses is really is really like giving guys ogoshi goshi throws you know and stuff like that and so it sort of gave <laughs> us a like an you know because this is still in the, you know in the in the mid to late 80s so you know people really weren't totally smart about stuff and so it was sort of like a nice window and gave us a new appreciation <laughs> into watching stuff but so yeah, so from from memphis you ended up as we're talking about indiana You ended up going to work for Dick the Bruiser.
1: Yes, that is correct. After a period of time, Jerry uh, came to me and said, Jeff, I can pretty much this is uh, I can only teach you so much in this area. Uh, Now it's time for you to expand and and, uh, spread your wings as as you so will. And and he said, uh, uh, there's an individual here named Spike Huber. I don't remember Spike or not. He was uh, at the time married to Dick the Bruiser's daughter and he offered me a opportunity to go to Indianapolis to meet Dick and and I did and 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 had a great run in Indianapolis and Chicago it was a wonderful wonderful time
0: yeah i think if i remember right at that time i think memphis and indianapolis had some sort of working agreement because i know i remember spike huber working in in memphis in that time so yeah and it's funny too that but i think by the time i mean this is a couple of years before I was in Indiana, but, you know, I think, I think Bruce's promotion had pretty much been, was done by the time, by the time I got to Bloomington, because I never remember hearing about, yeah and, you know, and plus, you know, that promotion was never usually in the magazines. So it wasn't until later that I found out, you know, what a big deal that company had been in that part of the country that I think, you know, I think the closest we got was, you know, Memphis running in Southern Indiana, but I don't remember like anything, sort of locally where we were, mm. like, like in my first couple of years in college, which is kind of a shame because it certainly would have been, you know, good to see even that promotion even in the dying days.
1: It was a it was a fantastic time. I met a lot of great people. Uh, you know, Bobo Brazil, Bill uh, of the Butcher. All this Jerry I'm unbelievable how much talent was in that area at the time. And you held – And I uh, certainly learned.
0: Yeah, and you you were actually the, Dick's partner for a while.
1: I sure was. It was amazing. I mean, he, you know, he played – we, we had little similarities. He was much older than I was. But, the, he you know, I, his other son-in-law to name Redbone, I can't remember his name uh, full time, but his other son-in-law was Redbone, if you remember him. Um, and we had a little uh, uh, spill, as you will, uh, uh, in that area, and, and Dick decided that he wanted uh, me as his partner because I was young and, I guess, uh, baby-faced and uh, up-and-coming, and he thought it would be a great way to promote his territory. It was, and he was such a great guy.
0: So how does the transition go from you being working for Bruiser in Indianapolis to ending up working for the Fullers in Pensacola?
1: Well, that's that's amazing. You know, I always kept in touch. You always you never burn those bridges. Whatever you do, um, and I kept a contact when I was um, playing football at Louisville and working with the guys at Louisville Gardens. I really got to meet and and uh, become friends with Jerry Lawler and Austin Idol, Mike McCord, and um, when I was with the uh, in Memphis area, Jerry was there, Austin was there, teaching me as much as they possibly could. And then when I left to uh, uh, Memphis, I went to Indianapolis, and it's probably six to seven, eight months later, Austin gave me a call. I was in Chicago working up in Hammond, Indiana, and uh, he said, Jeff, I got this wonderful gimmick for you. It's perfect, and I got, this is how I want you to do it. It's going to be a monster. Um, you wear a hockey mask, and, and uh, you, this is how it, Jerry and I will think that the, the best way for the gimmick to be portrayed You never talk, uh, so you won't ever have to be doing interviews because we'll have a manager for you, and you just talk with your eyes, and uh, you know you kind of open your eyes up, and and they they put those little fingers in your eyes that kind of talk to you like a monster, and that's that's um, we talked about that on the phone a couple of times, you know, two or three weeks, and then he said, okay, it's time to come to uh, we got this territory called Continental. Um, down in Pensacola, Florida, and that's where Austin was living at the time and so I picked up my bags and and uh, moved to Pensacola, as you will
0: <laughs> and it's funny because this is in sort of the late summer fall of eighty four and Mike Stark had already been humongous in Memphis and feuded with Lawler, but you're mm-hmm. sort of taking, yeah he's taking. You know, as as wrestling is wont to do, you know, they you know, they took the gimmick and gave it to somebody else and t- and moved them onto a new territory. But I know that that um you know, we'll probably mention it later. You know, there's been like nearly like a uh, dozen people probably over the years who have been various Lord Humongous people probably know I guess Sid Vicious is probably sort of like the best known humongous now, but that was a couple of years after you but it's it's such a great you know um again we're talking about 1984 and you know the road warriors had already been around for a couple years at this point and were one of the biggest um draws in the business so there were lots of these for people that don't remember or weren't around there were lots of these type um gimmicks you know you had the road wars you had humongous you had uh mad max and super max who you may have worked with in indianapolis because i think that's where they started or or were in the awa you know you had uh the barbarian you know conga the barbarian as opposed to john norton we'll get to him later um lady <laughs> maxine you it's amazing how many gimmicks in the business were sort of spawned out of that one or two movies
1: Yeah, it was. It's amazing, and and most of it was all come from the uh, brilliant mind of Jerry Lawler, believe it or not.
0: Well, you know, it's – I mean, people who know their Memphis history knows that Lawler loves monster movies and comic books. So, you know, if anybody is going to come up with that type of thing, it's probably going to be Jerry Lawler.
1: I'm going to give you a little history, too, with that. I had a um, – Jim – teacher at new Albany high school where I went to high school and his name was Ron Wave. God rest his soul. He's since passed away, but he was a really big guy and he's one taught me how to start lifting walls. And, uh, he told me how to ins and outs. And, And Jerry Lawler had met Ron and at the time road warriors had not, was not, uh, formed. And he, at the time, Thought that Ron and I could be the the new the role warriors, and this is before they was actually formed. And then Ron ended up turning Jerry down, and that's how I got my my start. That's that's a little tidbit a lot of people don't know about.
0: It's funny. And then um, so you come into Continental, and are you immediately uh, put with Ron in the stud stable, or were you? Because you said, like you said, they were going to plan on giving you a manager, but was it immediately with Ron?
1: No, actually it was not. I was, uh, was putting him by myself for a while. I guess they just wanted to see how I was going to be, because I was a new, new, new face in the, in the crowd. And, of course, they wanted to see how the new talent was and see if I was able to draw and what kind of work I did. And it, it, meant, it meant a lot. And then after they found out what kind of person I was and what time of, p- type of work I was performing for them, and that was when that Ron decided to, to do what he needed to do.
0: It seems like looking at the, the records, which, you know, are are sort of incomplete, <laughs> but, you know, we go with what we got. You had a lot of matches, it seems like, early on in Pensacola with Porkchop Cash.
1: Yeah, he was a great worker, great guy. He, <laughs> I learned a lot from him as well. Great person.
0: And it's funny because you had actually worked with him in Memphis, am I right when he was when he was in the Bruce Brothers with Troy Graham too. so you had already known yeah, him. Brother.
1: Yeah, I already knew already knew him. that was amazing. It, it's, a, it's a, a, a full circle as you will, and uh, he and I were really good friends in Memphis, and then we got to work together uh, in in Pensacola. It was just a, it was a great time.
0: And um, like I said, you ended up in the stud stable, and it's interesting now, in hindsight, to look back to see, you know, the the people that you were working with then who went on, who you know went on to bigger and better things. It's like you were in the stud stable when Arn Anderson was there, right?
1: Yes, sir, absolutely. Arn and I, Marty, he uh, and I are good friends, uh, I met him a couple years ago again at the uh, one of the reunions. And just rekindled our friendship.
0: And you also presumably um, had lots of matches with, with Bullet Bob and uh, a bunch of the Armstrong sons, I w- probably.
1: Uh, uh, I was actually in a different uh, category uh, weight-wise with uh, their, their other sons, <clears throat> especially with Scott and uh, Steve. And Brian wasn't actually in wrestling at the time. Um, And then, then, uh, you know, um, Brian was, uh, I think he was right after high school, he went into the Marine Corps. Right. And you
0: also... Oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, had a lot of great times and and, uh, wonderful matches with with Bob.
0: And then um, somebody... You are eventually—I don't know if you partnered with him, but I know it's somebody you feuded with. Eventually, once you turned, was Jody Hamilton, who was there as the Flame.
1: Yes, that's correct. And at the time, I believe I was—I was holding the belt, and I ended up, you know—I had to, to to leave the territory. I had to give up the belt, and then because uh, they knew I was going to uh, Mid South, Bill Watts, and um, so I, we had to circuit with uh, with jody and i he's a great great person as well learned a lot from jody with the flame
0: <laughs> and while you were there you also had a couple matches with flair for the world title
1: i sure did in birmingham alabama and again in um, uh, montgomery alabama and of course i won by default i took the belt and um I I wish they'd had the video of that or some pictures. I I can't hardly – I only have a couple pictures of Rick and I in in the ring, but um, it's kind of ironic because we kind of traveled that circuit that week together. (laughs) And what a great champ.
0: Were you – was this after you had Mm -hmm. turned face? Yes. Okay. Because, I mean, that's the thing with the world champion, you know. Even in 85, you know, he still – fought uh you know both sides as it were depending on you know what territory who when he was in so that yeah it's definitely cool oh, and then like you said you eventually we were talking about you turned face and and feuded with the stud stable and there is this funny angle this is right at the end of southeastern the beginning of continental when ron is threatening to expose your identity after after you turned on him and so he's running around with his envelope, saying he's got pictures of what you look like without the, ma- the mask on. And then it turns out that Bob steals the envelope, and it turns out he's been he's been working everybody the whole time. But it was certainly I'm. It's funny. So you eventually did get to work with Ron, which I imagine is probably one of the few guys of your size, at least in Continental, that you probably got to work against.
1: Oh, it was it was it was fantastic. Uh, our first match was you know we had the, the big deal at the uh, TV station in Dolton. and uh, <clears throat> that night when 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 the Lord Humongous turned face and said he was gonna, he was going to get Ron, people at the farm center in Dalton showed up in Groves. They wanted they wanted Ron <laughs> to get his ass kicked. It was fantastic. They was all waiting for me to, to just uh. Put him down as you will.
0: Well, it's funny because you know the axiom is sort of the hotter you are as a heel, the hotter you'll be as a babyface once you turn, and you know b- both ways. But I would imagine that you know you've been you know wrecking havoc in there for six months or so, and then when you finally turn and feud with them, that pr- I can imagine that people would have gone crazy because it's sort of the way you know like it was with the Road wars like we were talking about that. You know you see these guys kicking butt for for all this time, and then when you finally get to see them fight the guys you really hate, you know people <laughs> love them,
1: oh without a doubt, and they it did and it's amazing when you said that with to being a hill, I used to get followed um after leaving the ring and the matches for miles i I've, I've I've got ran off the road, I've been shot at, and also been stabbed by fans.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny the sort of you know, I guess modern fans really sometimes marvel at hearing these these riot stories. And people who listens to listen to Ron's podcast know that, you know, he loves telling telling riot stories and you know, being a third generation guy, he's certainly heard plenty and been in plenty over the years and it sounds <laughs> like, you know, that that the Pensacola area was had had a number of them once when, when they took over uh, running down there in the late 70s and early
1: 80s. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you something. We wrestled at the auditorium every Sunday night, and I lived in Gulf Breeze at the time. It's not very far. It's across the Three Mile Bridge, if you know where uh, anything about Pensacola. And I literally had to drive up Interstate I-110 to get on Interstate 10 to go eastbound to get off of Highway 87. And at that period of time, it was it was nothing but sticks and woods out that way. And then drive down 87 all the way back down to Highway 98 and then come east, uh, west to, to Gulf Breeze. That's how I used to go home. It used to take me over an hour to get home uh, from Pensacola because I used to get followed all the time.
0: That's crazy. And uh, we mentioned this earlier, but um, after you had turned turned face for a little while you ended up moving not that far uh geographically but you went from continental to work for bill watts in mid-south now did did watts uh recruit you to come to mid-south or had did ron decide that uh, it was time for you to go somewhere else or how exactly did you make the move
1: well actually it's, it's kind of funny because at the time you know in memphis <clears throat> I knew Bill Dundee, and Bill Dundee was the booker in Mid-South. If you remember, he was working in Mid-South, and I guess he had a uh, cooperative relationship with uh, Jerry and Bill to go back and forth with different talents like Terry Taylor and Pork Chop, Chop Cash and the different fellas. And uh, Bill had called me and then so did uh, individuals in uh, Charlotte at the time and wanted to meet wanted my talent in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, because I had a stint with Rick. And for whatever reason, Bill uh, talked me into going to uh, Mid-South. And I got a, uh, Bill sent me a plane ticket, and I flew to uh, Shreveport, spent the night and weekend, at, at the, and then we did it at the Boys Club and, and did my uh, introduction. And, and i'll never forget it i gonna say well i was just say
0: well you you had one of the bigger uh most memorable debuts in mid-south tv where to to set the scene um sir oliver humperdinck is managing um a guy named the nightmare who was randy collie who was one of the moon dogs uh people right. probably best know him as and so he's the champion and he's feuding with dick murdoch who, you know, has been a big star in Mid-South for, you know, decades. And in, in Murdoch's a face at this point, and in, in, uh, the Nightmare is obviously heel, because he's the Nightmare. And so right. Murdoch is challenging for him, and they're on TV, and Humperdinck says something to the effect of, you know, to prove that you're worthy or such and such to fight my man. He's like, you have to take on my new man, which is you, and you, you come out. And like I said, Murdoch has been a big star in Mid South for 10, 15 years at this point. And and you decimate him. It's like you beat him pillar to post. You bust him. You bust him open, and then you put him out with uh, the the Cobra hold that you're using. So talk about that angle in your debut.
1: You know, I was very lucky. Um... Dick had mentioned that I, he, I uh, worked with one of his friends and he, and uh, his friend told him what a great guy I was. And Dick went to Bill and told him, this is what he wanted to do for me. And I'll never forget that. He, uh, he was such a great professional. I, di- I didn't know about this until after the fact, but, but Dick really uh, put me over. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't say enough great things about what he did for me. And, and, uh, We became really good friends after that as well. And, um, you know, going out there and do what he did for me, you know, uh, pretty much an unknown at that time uh, to put me over as big as he did, as well as gracious as he did for me, I'll never forget it.
0: Yeah, because like, uh, as you were saying earlier, you know, this is still in the area where a lot of the shows are are regional. So unless you happen to live – in an overlap area or you know you're a tape trader cuz you know they there were even then they were they were tape trading in the even in the in the mid 80s so you know unless you were one of those people that sort of lived in mississippi or somewhere and got both TVs you know they probably they probably hadn't seen you before or i'm sure you you know given the gimmick you probably were a big hit in the magazines but yeah but that's the kind of debut that make people remember that you know not only is it a strong gimmick but like when you decimate one of the area's top baby faces so you're you're a made man right away in that promotion to the fans.
1: Oh without a doubt and Bill Watts gave the finishing for it to happen so I, I can't thank him enough as well. It was a great, great stint. I will never forget it. best one of the best times of my life.
0: And uh so you ended up your uh with Humperdinck who now he you know, the character I was going to say, yeah, he had been, he had been, it's funny because, you know, he was a fairly, he was well known in the 70s and early 80s and kind of faded out when wrestling went national. He, you know, had his moments here and there, but, you know, has, I think, unfortunately, been mostly forgotten over time because a lot of his stuff was before, before Tate, but, you know, he he made his name probably he used to manage the hollywood blonde the original hollywood blondes you know with with buddy roberts so you know he had been around for a long time but so i imagine he's probably one of those guys who had a world of stories and i don't know if you were like since he was your manager if you travel with him so i'm sure you probably heard lots of fun stories from him on the road
1: you know it's amazing that a humper day (laughs) He was—he man could get women like you wouldn't believe. I could not believe how many women <laughs> that man was. He was—he was a talker, and and he had a great mind for the business. What a great guy! I mean, he—he—he uh, he, he, he loved what he was doing.
0: And uh, we mentioned uh, briefly him earlier, but you were feuding uh, initially with um, with Jake the Snake and nord the barbarian who was his partner at the time but uh i think not long after when you get there nord turns on jake and you two uh become partners for a while
1: yeah and decimate jake in the ring remember that yeah nord nord turns on jake and and then he and i go out there then uh, t biasi and and hacksaw jim duggan come running out and we kind of kind of scoot a little bit but what a, What a great run! Yeah, you. Yeah, your. Free... Go, go, go ahead. No, I was just saying Nord was. A, he was. He was. He was a character, and he was more of a heel like I was. So I, I think that's what the the reason with Bill Watts was. He needed to team me, uh, me and Nord up together, be another like a, the the uh, Road Warriors, as you will. Nord a barbarian and Lord Humongous against uh, you know the tag team giants.
0: Yeah, and and that segued into you had uh, a pretty decent yeah decent length feud with Jake, including this because uh, I guess the the thing people probably most remember is um, this is you know this is still early on with Jake using the DDT, which was like the most lethal move in wrestling at that point, and you may have been since you're wearing the mask. You may have been like the first person to kick out of Jake giving them the DDT.
1: Oh, yeah. And everybody, when I kicked out of it, the, the audience went silent. They didn't know what to think. You know, and, I sit up like Jason from the movies, you know, from Halloween. Jason, right, yeah. And I sit up and and I turn and uh, I, come, I get up and hit Jake and he gets trapped in the ropes and A lot of people did, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? They didn't know what was going to happen.
0: Which is funny because then it eventually leads to Jake actually wearing his own hockey mask when you two are having matches.
1: Yeah, that was another gimmick that uh, Bill wanted. Um, So Jake started wearing his – toward the end of the match, you know, I ripped his mask off, and and then he got blood for me. And – it's funny
0: that you ended up, on the whole, even though we're talking about how memorable this run in mid south was, you really weren't there that long. You came in the summer, and you were pretty much done, I think, by the beginning of nineteen eighty six.
1: Yes, that is correct. I decided to uh, leave the ring uh, in nineteen January of eighty six. My last matches was up in uh, Oklahoma City, and. That's that was pretty much one of my last matches.
0: Was were you was it yeah, due was to okay Were um had you gotten oh, yeah. injured or had you just sort of decided it was time to move on and do something else?
1: Uh, no, actually I was enjoying my time. I, I enjoyed it, but it, you know, my wife was wanting to start a family and, and, and being on the road seven days a week working twice on Saturdays and Sundays, I would never ever have a, a, a life with the family. So that was my, uh, my decision to lead the, uh, ver- the wrestling business at that time.
0: I mean, I can certainly knowing the stories that we've heard, I can imagine that working the, working the Mid-South loop is, it w- you know, would give anybody pause if they weren't a hundred percent committed. You know, we've heard, you know, was it like three, 4,000 miles a week, probably, given the size of that territory?
1: Oh, without a doubt. It was huge. I mean, uh, the, the, the administration uh, provided the plane tickets um, to the, the top, I guess, the top group. So, I mean, one week we'd be in Houston, and then our wives would have to pick us up in Jackson, Mississippi the next week, you know, or vice versa we'd drive to Dallas and hop on a plane or New Orleans and hop on a plane, we'd be gone for a week, a um, week at a time. And half the time, I didn't even know where I was at. Um, the, the, the The hotels you stayed at, they had everything booked for you, people taking you to and from the ring, to and from the gym. I mean, half the time, I didn't even know where I was at.
0: I know um, before – I think when uh, – before Watts took over – in the in the 70s that that territory was so big like they apparently actually had like split crews they would have like one set of guys that mainly worked like the oklahoma portion and then they had a different set of guys who worked like sort of the louisiana part
1: so i mean that's and and, and then We, we would alternate and we'd go back and forth
0: and it's funny by the time you know we get to sort of the mid south everybody's familiar with you have yeah you have guys making that entire loop which is it's funny you listen to you listen to to Ron's podcast and uh, him talk about Pensacola and and continental and what a short trip territory it was and why you know he always had people wanting to come work for him because it was a short trip territory and you could live on the beach most of the week if you wanted.
1: Oh, without a doubt, it was a great time. You know, that's the thing. You know, you always find somebody with a, a big car. So the the partner I drove with the most was uh, Steve Williams, Dr. Beth. He and I traveled together. He had a big old GMC van, and and we traveled together. God rest his soul. He's a great guy.
0: Yeah, and 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 that was such a a territory. F- I mean. You certainly fit right in because you went from a territory where you were one of the few big guys. I mean, there's lots of tall guys in Continental maine because they're all the fullers are like six five and six six. But you know, Mid South was a territory that presumably was built for somebody your size because of just how many guys. I mean, that's what Watts liked in his in his in his company is lots of you know big hosses having those kind of matches against each other.
1: Right, and and I fit right in, and um, and I just I had a great time. I can't say enough wonderful things about the Watts and, and their his territory, and and the guys I work with. You know, I, a couple of years ago I had um, I met Jake at a reunion, and a couple summers ago we went up fishing up in Wisconsin together. It was it was great time.
0: That's cool. Like I said, you know, it's funny, and I'm sure you realize this, but for somebody who had such a short career that it's as fondly remembered as it was. And you got to work with so many people that we now see as legends in the business, especially in like the mid eighties.
1: You know, that's what Jake said. Yeah. He said, he said, Jeff, if you, if you would just stay stuck around another six months or so, you would have had a, a run with the, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan and, and everybody in WWE. And, and, uh, you know, I, I so uh, sometimes I regret that because I, I, I see people that I know and, and and love that that are going into the Hall of Fame, and you know I could have been right there with them if I had just stuck it out. At, you know, six eight another year or so. I just I just wish I would have done that. But you know, looking back hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm glad I have a family.
0: And it's funny too that I don't know if I ever knew the the part about you potentially going to, to Crockett because, you know, that's the time when they really they really blew up, you know, on being on the Superstation and with with Dusty in charge. So it's kind of interesting to see, to see where you would have fit in in that sort of, like, 85, 86 era, because they really didn't have somebody like the humongous character in that company. It's like, you know, they had the Barbarian, but that was probably the the, the closest, closest thing they had. So, you know, you probably you would have definitely been unique and probably would have ended up, you know, being a star in T on TBS too.
1: Yeah. I, I, I and mean, I regret that because Marty was at the time was with Flair and Flair was in Charlotte with the Crockett's and they, and, and Marty was giving me a lot of pressure to go to the Charlotte, you know? And so that, that, that was my connection because I met Marty in Pensacola and we were great friends and we, we traveled together down in, when we were here.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, there's, it's such a business that's full of what ifs you know not only you know do you have you know people that get injured or you know especially in the 80s when you still had people passing away relatively unexpectedly you know it's always full of what ifs or it's yeah like you said if you would have gone to work in one place or the other it's like who knows what would have happened and yeah certainly being your size you probably would have ended up working for vince at some point too and then you know who knows what would have happened? But uh, I did want to, before we go, uh, to give you a chance to talk about, like you said, you had a relatively brief career in wrestling, but you had a second life in law enforcement, including, which I find interesting, um, sort of having your own TV show.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's amazing. I, I had it, uh, At the time of 96, America's Most Wanted was going off the air. Fox News was taking them off the air. And they eventually kept them on, but we thought on the local level that we had so many warrants, active felony warrants for people's arrest at the Sheriff's Office. What a great way to get people put their faces up on the TV screen and ask people to find out, tell us where they're at. So they either turn themselves in or, or offer a reward through Crime Stoppers. And uh, that's that's where that all came from.
0: Cool. But, uh, and I was very,
1: I was very lucky like, in 2004. I ended up capturing over 10,000 wanted fugitives, helping solve unsolved murders and crimes. And, uh, uh, the sheriff's office put me in for officer of the year for the state of Florida, and I, I graciously had won the, uh, the title of officer of the year for the state of Florida in 2004.
0: That's really cool. Um, so Jeff, I want to thank you very much, uh, for doing this to, to talk about talk about your time in the business um like i said i it was a it was a gimmick that i loved at the time you know, i was a, a teenager at the time and it was a thing i loved and you know i i think sort of the mystique of the character has only really grown over the years and I'm, I'm glad that that you had such a good time in the business even though you know you weren't in it all that long
1: i just i, I appreciate the give you know the opportunity to get into business to so how i got into it and then I made a mark on the, on the short time I was in there, the, the impression that I had left is, is, is amazing to me. I'm, I really appreciate it. Just like you interviewed me for the, your radio show, I sure, I'm gracious for you to, to have, allow me to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I, I, I very much appreciate your time. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, I'm not sure when the next version of this will be out. I know we have some stuff in the fire. Um, We should be having the regular show in a couple weeks on something completely different. But thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.